Our first scripture reading is found in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus declared that everyone throughout the empire should be enrolled in the tax lists. This first enrollment occurred when Quirinius governed Syria. Everyone went to their own cities to be enrolled. Since Joseph belonged to David's house and family line, he went up from the city of Nazareth in Galilee to David's city called Bethlehem in Judea. He went to be enrolled together with Mary, who was promised to him in marriage and who was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for Mary to have her baby. She gave birth to her firstborn child, a son, wrapped him snugly and laid him in a manger because no place was found for them in the guest room. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise be. It was nearly 15 years ago now, it was January 2007, and I was on a bus with a group of other graduate school students and we were coming up to our last stop of the day. It had been a long day of touring and traveling around in the country and it was starting to get dark outside and we were pulling up to the last stop. And as we were pulling up, we pulled up first to a narrow gate in a border wall, a border wall separating Israel from Palestine, Israel from the West Bank. Outside the wall, there were armed soldiers waving us through, mostly teenagers with automatic rifles. Inside, as we drove through the city streets, there were protest graffiti on the inside of the walls. We drove through town and pulled up to an empty, quiet city square. As we stepped down into the cold and misty night, we were encircled almost immediately by kids and adults asking for financial help or offering to sell us something that they had made. Behind us, up into the air, rose a minaret calling Muslims to pray. Across the square, there's an old monumental stone church that sort of rose up into the night. And we made our way across the square and entered into that church building walked through the sanctuary and eventually found our way to a couple of flights of stairs descending down underneath the church itself. And then we waited in line, surrounded by dim lights and silence. And as we got to the front of the line, there was a, a marble floor that you could kneel on. And on that marble floor, there was a 14-point silver star with a Latin inscription on it that said, here, Jesus Christ was born to the Virgin Mary. Here, Jesus Christ was born to the Virgin Mary. And I have to be honest, my first thought was like, here? Like, really? Here? It wasn't anything like I expected. There weren't like thousands of imported Italian twinkling lights, you know, on some 80-foot spruce tree. We didn't have like red cup, non-fat, double pump, skinny peppermint mochas 
kind of being sold to us along the way. There were no cute kids in costumes singing carols off key. We didn't have any of that. And there was no radiating warmth, no embracing peace, no animating hope. This place, this place was politicized. It was militarized. It was marginalized. It was pluralized. It was in every way unsanitized. <laughs> there was something about being there was, was not sterile. It was not serene. It was uncomfortable. It was jarring. It was like, really here? Why couldn't Jesus be born someplace else? Why couldn't he be born like in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania? Like, I'm sure that that town of 75,000, they know how to do this, right? We'd have all of those things kind of taken care of. Yet the more that I thought about it, the more that it made sense. This is exactly the kind of place that God would send his son. In fact, this is exactly the kind of place that God did send his son. Then in the first century, when Jesus was born into the world, the Roman Empire and its military occupied and controlled Judea. That Jesus' family ended up in this town because there was a Roman Caesar that had commanded a census so he could make sure he was collecting all of the taxes for his coffers. It was his command to have a census that forced Jesus' parents, while Mary is pregnant, to trek 90 miles to this insignificant rural town where there are shepherds and farmers just trying to eke out a living. It's here that Jesus was born in a barn birth, surrounded by livestock and all the smells. It was exactly that kind of place. See, the Christmas story reminds us that Jesus entered into our mess. He didn't ignore it. He didn't avoid it. Instead, the very Son of God came and inhabited this place. The light of the world entered into the world. The light of the world entered into our darkness. The Gospel of Matthew, looking for words to describe this, reaches all the way back to the prophet Isaiah. And he says this, he says, The people who lived in the dark have seen a great light. A light has come upon those who lived in the region and in the shadow of death. The people who lived in the dark, the people for whom death was near, those are the ones who have seen a great light. Those are the ones who've witnessed the dawn of a new day. And of course, it begs the question, like, who are those people? Who are the people that have seen this? And what the writer of the gospel wants us to know is it's all of us. It's not just the people that lived there and then, but it's us who live here and now. It's you and me. Jesus came into the world for everyone who has ever known darkness. He has come to anyone and everyone who's ever known or experienced darkness in your life. He's come to those who've experienced doubts. He's come to those who've experienced defeat. He's come to those who know what it's like to live with financial insecurity or to suffer the heartbreak of infertility. He's come to those who live with crippling anxiety and chronic pain. He's come to those who experience loneliness, either because of pandemic isolation or because of separation from a family member or maybe even divorce or a singleness that seems to go on much longer than you ever hoped or dreamed for. 
It's come to those who know addiction and hunger and famine and war and fatigue and job loss and homelessness and miscarriages and terminal diseases and dreams that never materialize and hopes that are never fulfilled, questions that are never resolved and hearts that seem to never be healed. He's come to those who have tasted failure, who know fatigue, who've experienced incredible fallout in their relationships, who've seen evil and abuse and violence, who suffered one string of disappointment after another, who know loss and death, maybe who are even sitting here tonight saying someone else was supposed to be here with me tonight. To everyone who lives in the dark, to everyone who's experienced the shadow of death, or as Eugene Peterson calls it, to everyone sitting in the dark, dark country of death, to anyone and everyone who has ever known darkness, Jesus has come. The light of the world has come into the world. This is the good news of Christmas, that God did not remain distant, but God actually entered into the darkness. So whatever darkness now surrounds us, no matter how great that darkness, the light of God is always greater. The light of God is always greater. That The light says to the darkness, be gone, and the darkness has no other choice but to dissipate. The Gospel of John puts it this way, that the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness doesn't extinguish the lights. The darkness doesn't overcome the lights. The darkness can do nothing about the lights. And my prayer for you this Christmas Eve is that you would step into the light that is Jesus Christ. That you would step into the light of Jesus and that you would let his light dispel whatever darkness that you're facing that you would let his light calm whatever fear seems to be gripping you, that you would let his light illuminate your reality, that you would let his light guide your steps, that you'd let his light thaw the places in your life that have grown cold, that you would let his light cause your life to burst forth with new life in, what, in ground that seems like it's fallow, that you would find the everlasting light of Jesus Christ, and that you would know that he loves you and that he has come into the dark for you. As our kids' choir comes forward, our worship team to lead us in some more songs, would you take a moment right now, wherever you are, would you bow your head? Would you open your hands? And whatever darkness that you are experiencing tonight, whatever loneliness you're feeling whatever fatigue seems to be gripping you, whatever pain you feel even as you sit in these chairs, whatever heartbreak is continuing to go on, whatever disappointment you're holding this holiday season, would you open your hands and just ask Jesus to come into that situation? A simple prayer. Jesus, would your light come? Would I find the light? of Jesus in the midst of this darkness. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit we pray. Amen. The second scripture is found in Isaiah 61 through 2. Arise, shine, for your light has come 
and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Merry Christmas, everybody. It's great to see you here in Palmer High School, New Life Downtown, Christmas Eve. What a wonderful night to celebrate together. I was thinking this week about one of the peculiar fascinations of the person in a modern society, particularly that strange decision determination to take our vacation time and willingly go without our phones, without electricity, without running water or plumbing, without heat, without air. Yes, I'm talking about camping. (laughs) It's as if for a week or a few days, we're willing to pretend that the Industrial Revolution never happened, electricity was never discovered, that all of these inventions don't actually matter to our life. But the truth is there is a kind of darkness that we experience that no technology can address, that no amount of progress can actually solve. There's a kind of darkness that when we experience it, we might as well be pre-moderns or ancients. It really doesn't matter. There's something about the human condition in every era that leads us to the edge of our own limitations, that makes us feel like the people Jason was describing earlier, the ones sitting in darkness. But it is precisely in those moments that we remember the hope of Christmas, the good news that when we found ourselves stuck in darkness, the light came to us, that God found us. Isaiah 60, Isaiah the prophet saw the day that the glory of the Lord would shine. And he said this, Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, we heard it read. And thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Pastor Jason told us what God does for us in the midst of our darkness, that he comes For all people who have ever known darkness, the light shines and overcomes it. And now I want us to reflect for a few moments on what that light does. And the first thing that I want us to to think about tonight is that the light awakens us to a truer story. There's something about light that dispels all of the myths that get magnified in our hearts and in our minds in the dark. I don't know if you've had an experience where you've been in a room that was incredibly dark or maybe camping after the fire's out and you find yourself in the tent and every rustling of a bush is a bear and every little twig next to you is a snake. Our fears get kind of magnified but so do our hopes. You wake up in the middle of the night or early wee hours of the morning before the sun has risen and no one's made, made breakfast yet, but you find yourself hungry and you reach over and you think that's that pretzel you were munching on. But alas, it's a leaf. In the dark, our fears get magnified, but so do our hopes. We tend to get too excited about the wrong things and too afraid about the wrong things. But when the light comes, we see the truth. 
The light has a way of awakening us to, our, to a truer story. In fact, this is what happens to the people of God in the first century. They had a king who called himself the king of the Jews, and they were wondering, is this it? They had an emperor in Caesar who called himself the son of God, the prince of peace. And the gospel writers, they're kind of trolling Rome. They're kind of trolling the ancient rulers by saying, we're going to tell stories about the birth of Jesus in such a way as to announce to the world that the true king is actually Jesus. The true prince of peace is actually Jesus. And true peace looks like this, not like that. When light comes, it awakens us to a truer story. For some of us, when we've lived through a season of disorientation like the one that we've been in, it's easy to let our fears run away and to think, if this happened, that's the worst thing ever. But the light of Jesus that has come into the world reminds us that even if what we think is the worst happens, it will not be the last word. The light comes into the world to make us think differently about our fears. But the light comes in the world to also reframe and tell us the truth about our hopes. We're tempted to have hopes that are too small, to hang everything on a new relationship or a new job or a new city or a new start or a new raise. And the light comes into the world and says, there's a truer story. Your fears have been too large and your hopes have been too small. But Jesus, the light of the world, makes you see a truer story. But there's something else that happens when the light arrives. Isaiah says it in verse 3. He says, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar. Your daughters are carried on the hip. And then you will look and be radiant and your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you. To you the riches of the nations will come. What Isaiah is talking about is a great reversal of all the scattering, of all the exiles that have been taken away from the land. Isaiah says there's coming a day when the light will result in a great reversal. And actually all those that have been exiled will be brought back. All those that have been imprisoned and oppressed will be brought back. But he's also talking about other nations. It's not just the people of God who've been lost, but the other nations who've been outside the light. It's almost as if Isaiah is remembering back the original promise to Abraham when God said, through you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. See, what happens when the light shines is not only does it awaken us to a truer story, but it awakens us to a bigger story. And all of a sudden we recognize that Jesus has come not only for you and me, but for everyone around us, for the world, in fact. Some of you are sitting here on Christmas Eve conscious of family members or friends that maybe you would say are like prodigals. They were once here and have gone afar away. Others of you are maybe thinking of people who you work with or go to classes with who never knew the Lord or would never say they know this Jesus. The light shines not only for prodigals to come home, but for those who have never known him to find their way home as well. The light awakens us to this bigger story and it reminds us that as the people who live in the light, we begin to live differently. We begin to act differently. We begin to love differently. 
The trouble with living in the light is that it requires the eyes of faith. Tonight feels wonderful. We listen to children singing. We're going to have little tea lights that are battery powered. It'll feel just like candles. Tomorrow will be Christmas morning. But somewhere in mid-January, maybe later, February, when you find yourself slogging through another Monday at your job, coming back home to a lonely apartment, or finding yourself weighed down by the darkness, you'll begin to ask yourself, what happened to all that Christmas stuff? What happened to all that talk about the light? The light awakens us to a bigger story and it invites us to live in that story even against all evidence to the contrary. And the truth is we see this in the way little kids handle Christmas morning. And those of you who have really young kids, I mean our youngest is nine, we're going to experience this tomorrow morning. Where before the sun even rises, she'll be in our room saying, are you ready? Are you up? And that's if she's nice. All of the rest of you with younger kids, it may not even be anything to do with Christmas. It may just be that they're two and they're up now. And they're not aware of the time of the morning. It's just, it's day. And this in a way is a reminder to us of how Christians live. We have an expectation that we carry with us. A hope that we carry with us. That even when it's dark outside, we say, no, no, no. This is a new day. It's Christmas morning. Arise and shine, parents. The light has come. Get out of bed. The invitation from the Lord is for all of us to live this way. To begin to live into a new day. A new reality. A new hope. A new light. Beyond the darkness that persists around us. When you read the nativity stories, you read stories of angels. There's angels that show up in Matthew's stories and show up in Luke's stories. And maybe you're here tonight and you're like, well, wouldn't that be nice? It might be wonderful if we all got some burst of light in the heavens that reminded us of what Pastor Jason said, that God is here with us. But I wonder tonight if actually the idea of angels and even the very meaning of that word is the messengers of God. And it makes me wonder if for us, all of us today, the invitation is for you and I to be these messengers. For you and I to be the ones who carry the light to the world around us. And we become the people who recognize that light has not come just for us, but for the sake of someone else. The light of God has come to you, not only for us, but for the sake of someone else. And in just a moment, we're going to sing Silent Night and we're going to light these little tea lights. But I want you in this moment to respond to the Lord in one of two ways. For some of you, this will be a moment to step into the light, to say, okay, I I, I don't know what this means, but I know that there's darkness in my world. And I need something stronger than that. Something brighter than that. Something like what Pastor Jason talked about. Tonight can be a moment to step into the light. And for others of you tonight, the invitation is not simply to step into the light, but to step out with the light. To begin 
to carry this light to someone else. It may be the people that you find yourself with later this evening or tomorrow or maybe the people that you're naturally with in your daily life. But the light of God doesn't always arrive in the ways that rend the heavens. The light of God often arrives like these little candles that we hold. One life of faithfulness, one moment of holy presence, the gift of holding a friend's hand or offering a loved one a hug, the ministry of kindness. And all of a sudden, we look up, just like we will in a moment, and you'll see that the very dark world is flickering now with the light of God's love because we are the messengers, the ones sent into the world, the ones who not only have stepped into the light, but step out with the light. So tonight, would you stand with me? And if you need one of those tea lights, you could kind of track down our wonderful ushers with their uh, necklaces here. They'll help you receive those lights to have. But I want to invite you to pray with me tonight. Jesus, we have no way on our own to overcome the darkness. We have no way to chase away the hurt or the ache or the pain. But God, we give you thanks that into our mess and into our darkness, you came. And you did for us what we could never do for ourselves. That you brought this light. And so all of us tonight, we're saying again, Jesus, we welcome your lights. Come. Come and shine on us. Shine on our hearts. Shine in our lives. Shine on us. And Lord, as we are sent from this place, send us with the light to be what you call the church to be, a city set on a hill, the light of the world. Make us ones who carry within us not our own impressive resumes or actions or strength, resources, but the ones who carry within us the great treasure, Christ himself, the hope of glory, the light of the world. Shine on us and send us with your light. We worship you now. We welcome you now. We pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.